So we're going to talk about something tonight that I doubt anyone here came for. In fact, it's such a distasteful subject. I would not be surprised, I could be wrong, but I would not be surprised if I get some emails. And that's all right, because some attention is better than none at all. So uh, you're welcome to express yourself in any way you'd like. Emails are fine. Uh, we're going to talk about something that is so distasteful, it's almost a taboo subject. Nobody likes to converse about it. Uh, we want to avoid it and deny it, but it stares us in the face. and We have no choice but to address it. It's the subject of death. Uh, it's an enemy. It is not a friend, and therefore you're in good company if you don't feel uh, uh, comfortable with the subject. But the reason it has to be engaged tonight is that I didn't bring it up. God did. We're studying his word. He has something to say about it in the text before us tonight. We can't skip it, not even the difficult passages of Scripture. Uh, we have to take a look and reflect on it. And what we'll look to tonight is the subject of death. But please don't leave just yet. I think you'll see that it's possible even in speaking about such a distasteful subject to end on a hopeful note. So keep your seats. I think we'll end in a good way, Lord willing. Well, we've been in the book of Hebrews, as you know, and we're calling it the letter of better because as you look to it in the letter of better, it's stock full of all manner of things which suggest to us a better way. And so tonight, we're going to demonstrate to you the fact that this Jesus who we know and love is better than death. There are options to it, and he's a far better option to death. Jesus is better than death. And so here's the text, just two verses of Scripture tonight. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We left off last week with the prior text, and so we'll continue tonight in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, since the children, you know who they are? Yeah, if, you're, if your big brother, if your elder brother is Jesus, now we mean no disrespect even in suggesting that because he's savior, he's the agent of creation, he's deity, he's almighty God. Yet at the same time, if your elder brother is Jesus by faith, you're uh, under this umbrella of being a child of God. His father is your father. We saw that last week. If you have relationship with him, you trace your lineage in a spiritual sense now to his father, your children. Isn't that marvelous, wonderful? That transcendent deity who to many is a stranger for they're alienated from him as we once were. Now we use a family term. He's not CEO, he's father. Isn't that good? He's not commanding general, he's father that makes us his children. This is about us. Therefore, since the children share, what does your Bible say? In what? Does anyone have a translation? Because there's all manner of interesting twists on the text today, various translations. Does anyone have a translation that says, since the children share in 
iron and steel. Anyone have that? Okay, good. Uh, then, then, then hang on to your Bible. See, we wanted to say iron and steel. Since our nature is to be iron and steel, self-sufficient, able to do anything we set our minds on. Isn't that the mantra uh, today? We teach our kids, believe in yourself. You can be anything you want to. That's a lie, isn't it? My goodness. I want to be an NBA basketball player. Yeah. I don't think my mind set on it is going to get it done. But that's crazy. Believe in yourself. Wow, terrible, terrible. So we want to, to translate this since it is our nature to be made of iron and steel. And yet it says rather hauntingly that we are flesh and blood. That is a reference to our mortality, and we hate that, which is why we so fear and dislike, in my opinion, the subject of death, because death settles the matter about our nature. Death uh, puts an exclamation point to this descriptive term, we are flesh and blood, exclamation point. We die. We're not immortal. Flesh and blood passes. Iron and steel uh, continues on. But that is not our nature. So we hate to admit that, you see. And so therefore the whole reality of death flies in the face of our uh, delusion that we are immortal. and Something more than we in fact are. We're just flesh and Blood, I have to tell you something, and I warned you, this is not a very palatable subject. Uh, the body will die. Uh, everybody's physical body is going to die. So we can feed it well. I encourage that. That's a good thing. Feed it well. That's a good thing to do. You can exercise it. That's, they say that's a good thing, too. You could put makeup on it, and we men thank you, ladies, for doing that. You could even, uh, you can cosmetically do surgery to it and pretty it up. We're in favor of all these kinds of things. You can dress it up and all the rest, but inevitably it's going to die. I don't care how many carrots you eat. Uh, eventually your body's going to give way to its inherent nature. It's flesh and blood. It's going to die. So it's this harsh reality of our own mortality which makes the following phrase in this text all that more amazing. Look at it. He himself. See, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, who is that a reference to? Yeah, that's Jesus. He himself, Jesus, likewise, since the children share in this flesh and and blood nature. Therefore, he, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same flesh and blood nature. So this Jesus became what he had not been. He had always been God. He became human. Uh, that we are flesh and blood is an unavoidable reality, and 
death reminds us of it all the time, but that he who is God became flesh and blood is almost unimaginable. You really need the eyes of faith to apprehend that one. And this very thing, this very Messiah Jesus did, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He partook of the same nature as that which is ours. He took, in other words, he took hold of something not naturally his. He added to his nature our flesh and blood nature. He partook of this flesh and blood nature, and the text says, likewise. And this need not be a Greek class, but I just want you to get excited about this. Just that little old word, likewise, in Greek, there's two words that make up that one word. And the two words for that one word are alongside and nearby. This Jesus, in other words, in his have you heard the term incarnation or enfleshment? I think I made that one up. But this Jesus in his enfleshment came alongside and nearby the human race. I could be wrong, but I don't know that any other faith perspective could say this is true of the deity they worship save Christianity. He likewise, two words, alongside and nearby, came right alongside. You see, the followers of every other pretender to the throne have to keep their distance. He's transcendent only. Ours is transcendent and imminent at the same time, so we call him Emmanuel, God with us. I don't need to insult anyone unduly, but Allah does not come near. But Jesus did. Likewise, so as to share in our very nature. And so in the incarnation, this Lord Jesus took hold of human nature without Sin. Did I leave that out? That's important not to be left out. He took part of human nature yet, yet without sin. He took it on as an additional nature, thus rather remarkably associating himself with the human race. Folks, there are times we cannot stand each other. And yet he came alongside and nearby. This is, I think, why we sing Amazing Grace. <clears throat> he took to himself something which, by nature, with which by nature he had nothing in common. Why? Well, the text says this phrase, look, that through death, you see, he did this, that through death, that's why he took human nature. See, that through death. Did you know God can't do this? Die, that is. But by definition, God, God has no end, no beginning nor any end. It is not in his nature 
for anything to be final, especially his existence. It is our flesh and blood nature which ends inevitably in death, but God's nature, his nature not being flesh and blood, is never terminated by this thing you see called death. And therefore, the only way God could die is if God would become flesh. Feel free to jump in. That's what he did. He who always was entered life on earth, same way we do, by birth. And then he departed this life on earth, same way we do, by death. But why is the question? Why did he do this? And here the answer is given right there in the text, that he might render powerless him who had the power of death. In the case you're not sure who the him is, we're told him is the devil. This God, Jesus, became the God-man so that he could be subject to dying such that in the process of dying, he could somehow render powerless, take away the authority, the influence of this one who is referred to as the devil. But wait a second. How did this devil, this Satan, come to have the power of death. Well, it's not that difficult to figure out. You see, he is the author of sin, and therefore he is the author of its consequences. And the Bible tells us what is the consequence of sin. It's in Romans 6.23, for one. For the wages of sin is, you see. So the author of sin has sway over its consequences, which the Bible tells us is death. But this Jesus, in becoming man, uh, so as to die for sinful humankind, has paid for us the death penalty due us. And in so doing, he took away Satan's power over us. Our sin has led to our dying, but his dying for our sin has led to our victory over death. I'll read the rest of Romans 6.23. I only read this part. For the wages of sin is death, but, do you know the rest? The free gift of God is eternal life. Where is it? In Christ Jesus. You see? That's pretty good. So Satan's primary weapon, he has manifold weapons, but his number one weapon against us is death. But Jesus, Lord of life, rendered him powerless by robbing him of his primary weapon. Therefore, I want to tell you something. Neither physical death, nor spiritual death, nor eternal death can victimize the one who is in the embrace by faith of the giver of life. You just need to know that. And how did the giver of life, how did this Lord Jesus, how did he pull this off? How did he do all this? Well, easy. By dying for us, that's how. His dying destroyed the weapon of death. 
He went through it, you see, and then he came out on the other side of it, resurrected. We celebrated that last week, right? But no, not just last week. <laughs> Every day. He won victory over the last enemy, death. He experienced it, came through it, resurrected from it. And so we read this, it's marvelous. John 14, verse 19, after a little while, Jesus said this while he was here, after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, what do you think it says? You shall live also. Because I live, you shall live also. And, and what is the effect of all of this that he did? Verse 15 tells us, And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Folks, sadly, we are not yet delivered from the reality of death and dying. We're not. It hurts us quite a bit. We ache over it. That's what grief is all about. It's legitimate. We're entitled to it. We feel, we hurt, we express our God-given emotions over it. I don't want to minimize it or in any way criticize the grieving process. So right now we're not yet fully delivered from the reality of death, but what we are delivered from is a kind of slavery, a bondage, if you will, which is due, according to this verse, to something called the fear of death. We cannot escape the reality of it for now, but we can be delivered. We have been delivered from a bondage to this, uh, this otherwise irrational fear of death. But wait a second, are there really that many people running around who, as is implied by this verse, who are really subject to the fear of death? And the answer is yes, and uh, here's evidence of it. Though people will say, I'm not afraid of death and dying, everybody's intense desire for self-preservation seems to indicate that we do fear death. Everyone is looking over his or her shoulder, locking their doors. Don't you tell your kids to drive safely? Put on your seat belts. <clears throat> Everybody has this inherent uh, compulsion in the, in the direction of self-preservation, which is evidence to me of the fact that we have, uh, we give way, we have to step aside to the reality of death. Oh yeah, everybody fears it. But why is it such a fearful enterprise, death? Well, for good reason. It's the great unknown. Nobody knows what's on the other side of it. it, it and it's so final. Did you notice that? That is just really remarkably the end. And uh, you know what else it is? This we hate. It is the ultimate loss of control. So my fellow uh, obsessive compulsive control freaks out here, and you know who you are. This, this, this destroys us. I mean, it is the ultimate loss of a sense of control. And you know what else death, this is why we hate death. It's the ultimate separation from, from people, from, uh, we hate this. It's the ultimate separation from possessions. You can't take it with you. 
It's the ultimate uh, separation from our profession and from projects and from pursuits and from everything we have invested in, surrounded ourselves with, and occupied our time with. Death suddenly, boom, it's the grand eraser of all that which we have given our lives to. Oh, you hate death. Yeah, all of us as flesh and blood are very much subject to a kind of slavery all of our lives because of a fear of death. We have to give way to it. We have to acknowledge it. It is unavoidable. And for some, this fear of death is much more blatant than for others. For instance, do you know of a guy named uh, William uh, Randolph Hearst? Have you heard of him? You know the Hearst Empire? Businessman, politician, publisher, made millions and uh, built his mansion in California. Maybe you have visited it. It's called the Hearst Castle. Magnificent. He filled it with our world's most prized works of art. Many people were delighted to be invited when he occupied his home, his mansion. Many were delighted to be his invited guests, but there was a standard rule which everyone had to comply with, and that is Mr. Hurst insisted that nobody mention the concept, the reality of death. It was a prohibition. You couldn't talk about death under any circumstances if you visited Mr. Hurst at his mansion. In fact, every night he was so afraid of death, he did not want to close his eyes and go to sleep, for he feared he would not wake up. Interesting how his worldly success and accumulation of stuff did not alleviate his fear of the harsh reality uh, of death, you say. Some have this extreme fear. I need to tell you something. That is a really bad fear to have, fear of death. You know why? It's unavoidable. What can you do about it? So uh, do you know in the history of humankind, experts estimate that 100 billion people have died? In the history of humankind, 100 billion have died. Uh, in fact, they say there are 1.8 deaths per second. 107 deaths per minute, 6,390 deaths per hour. In our little time together tonight, approximately 6,400 people will have died. Some here are, are just sleeping, I hope. <laughs> 150, we'll figure it out later when we turn out the lights. 153,000 people die every day. Think about it. 56 million people around the world, every shape and size and ethnicity and uh, socioeconomic affiliation, regardless of your political situation, uh, uh, 56 million people around the world die per year. So if you're afraid of dying, wow, that's a really tough one to get help with because you can't avoid it. I mean, people have many phobias, but this one, uh, the fear of death, is probably the worst because, I mean, what are you going to do about it? 
For instance, let me, let me mention to you the names of some people you're perhaps familiar with. They suffer from different kinds of phobias. You know a guy named Johnny Depp? You know him, the actor? Johnny Depp? He suffers from something called chlorophobia. You know what that is? It's a fear of clowns. People have it. Fear of clowns. Well, if you got that one, I mean, I sympathize with you, but all you got to do is avoid circuses, right? It's really not that difficult. Just don't go. Uh, Sigmund Freud. You, you've heard of Sigmund Freud. He suffered from something called siderodramophobia. I'm not lying to you. That is a fear of train travel. I'm not kidding you. What would you suggest to Dr. Freud? It's easy. <laughs> Take a bus. It's easy. That'll be $75. See you next week. Take a bus. Howard Hughes. He suffered from something called mysophobia, fear of germs. That's not a difficult one. Wash your hands. That's all. Wash. Marilyn Monroe. Tragic life. Marilyn Monroe suffered from agoraphobia. You know that one, fear of public places. Isn't that odd? Such a gorgeous, um, talented person in the public eye suffered uh, from uh, the, a fear of, of public places, agoraphobia. So if uh, someone was trying to counsel her, all you'd have to do is say, stay home. Alfred Hitchcock. You know Alfred Hitchcock? He suffered from something called ovophobia. You know what that is? Fear of eggs. I'm not yoking. <laughs> That's actually true. He suffered from a fear of eggs, so what would you tell Mr. Hitchcock? Eat meat. That's all. Lay off the dairy. Natalie Wood. She suffered from something called aquaphobia. What do you think that is? Fear of water. So what would you tell her? You say, stay dry. That's all. Madonna. Good night. We can't even get close to describing what she suffers from. But anyway, <laughs> just keep it clean and simple. Uh, Madonna suffers from something called brontophobia, which is a fear of thunder. So does my dog Sadie. My dog Sadie. She goes crazy. She has that in common with Madonna. So what, what would you tell Madonna? Get earplugs. That's all. I would tell Madonna to get earplugs. In fact, I would tell those who go to Madonna concerts to get earplugs. I would so they would have the, you'd have that in common. So those are phobias. But many more than those who suffer from those rather esoteric fears. Many more are those who are subject to, uh, to something called thanatophobia, thanatos, death, a fear of death. Many more suffer from a fear of death. And it is, as I mentioned, the worst fear to have because death cannot uh, be avoided. Uh, as Ger George Bernard uh, Shaw, remember him? What time are we working on? I am really early. Wow. Forgive me for just a second. I'm going to end sooner than I thought I was here. 
I have a fear of uh, chronophobia, fear of ending early. What do, you, what do you think of that? Let's just create a home. George Bernard uh, Shaw once said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. That's you know what he says. Uh, but I want to draw to a close and share with you the words of uh, one of God's writers. You know him. His name was Paul. And he wrote this. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? The sting of death, he said, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. My fellow Christians, children were referred to of the Father. No need to fear death because He lives. You and I can live also because He lives. You and I can face tomorrow.